Alright, good morning everybody. Man, I, I don't know why they didn't have me, my face up there. <laughs> so good to see you guys. How you doing? You having a good week? How many of you men appreciated that yesterday? We didn't have to go on that emotional roller coaster that is Ducks football. Uh, it was just, we could just enjoy a Saturday with our families, you know, eat some good food and watch other teams get beat, you know, and all that. It's just a wonderful time, yeah. Well, hey, I'm so excited for today, so excited to share this word that God has put in my heart. And listen, maybe this is your first time being here at Joy Church. I just want to say welcome. Thank you for being here. I believe that you're not here by accident, that God brought you here today to be encouraged and for you to meet Jesus, to be inspired by what God has for you. But for, the, for everybody that's here today, I am so pumped because we're starting a brand new series. And if you can look at that, what's it called? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. You know, in the, in the world right now, there's so much uh, cynicism and discouragement and people that are telling you, no, you can't. Come on, somebody. And anytime you, you step up to do something in life, right, there's always somebody there to tell you why you're not qualified, why you're not good enough, why you shouldn't be. Come on. Well, why, why should you think you could do this? Or why should you think you could do that? You want to start this new thing. You want to uh, go to your, your school and start a Bible club. You want to start a business. Whatever it may be, you want to get into a, a fresh relationship. Come on, single people are like, Jesus, hallelujah. No single people here this morning. But anyways, second service, they're going to be like, preach, Jake, preach it. But whatever it may be, there's always a, a voice that will say, no, you can't. But you know, God wants to speak to you and put in your heart and your spirit this yes I can. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about changing the way that we think and moving from no, I can't to yes, I can. Having a spirit of possibility, a spirit of success, a spirit of victory. Come on, moving from no, I can't to yes, I can. Talking about becoming who God has made us to be so that we can do what God has called us to do. You excited about that? I'm excited. I'm really excited. We're going to raise the ceiling in this series over the next couple of weeks, I really believe that your faith is gonna be built, your, your potential for possibility and what you think is possible, those limits are gonna be uh, blown off. Come on, God wants to open up your mind, open up your heart, break some chains off of you, but get you to see that your life has so much more potential than maybe what you think at this moment. So we're gonna jump in. Let's get into the word today, starting right off in Romans chapter 12, verse two. And I'm talking fast and I'm excited because I haven't preached in two weeks. <sighs> Feels good. All right. Romans chapter 12, verse two says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Somebody say, don't be a poser. Come on, God made you to be what? An original, right? You're the OG, you're original, right? There's only one of you and there's only one like you. And people say, thank God, Jake, there's only one of you because the world would just be a mess. <laughs> but I'm the one, right? Say, I'm the one. Don't be a copy, uh, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. We're going to come back to that. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This is like, yeah, I got a bowl of ice cream. Uh-huh. But now there's nuts on it. Uh-huh. And now there's chocolate sauce on it. Uh-huh. Hot fudge. It's good and pleasing and perfect. It goes good, better, best. Come on. God has good things in store for every one of us, right? The will of God, what he wants for you is good and pleasing and perfect. See, a lot of people think God's will for us is that we would sort of all be like these robotic, moralistic, annoying Christians, right? Meaning we sort of go around and like, Jesus loves you. I don't have any fun. Jesus loves you, but not you, right? 
Do you want to come be bored with me on a Sunday? No, that's not God's will for your life. God's will for you is to be is good and pleasing and perfect. I want to tell you right now, if you think God's will for you is to have less fun, enjoyment, satisfaction, fulfillment in life than what you have out in the world apart from God, I guarantee you that's incorrect. When you come to know God, things are going to change. Absolutely. Your heart, your, your desire, uh, the things that you enjoy are going to change. Yes. But God has more for you. Always more, not less. Come on. God has more for you. Always more, not less. God's will for us. What he wants for us is good, pleasing, and perfect. He wants to put that, yes, I can. But how does this take place? How do we get this transition from no, I can't to yes, I can? Uh, it, it comes, as it says in this verse, by changing the way that we think. Everybody wrap on your noggin a little bit. Bong, 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 bong. Some people go, boom. Mine's like, doosh, doosh, because it's full. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> My wife doesn't think so. She's like, boom. Perfect resonant chamber in there. By changing the way that you think. Now, when we talk about the way that we think, it's kind of meta because you're thinking about thinking, right? And here's the thing, you ever, I mean, the way that you think, even the way that you think about thinking is the way that you think. So how does this really work, right? How many of you know that the, the same either intelligence or stupidity that brought you to your current level in life is still operating right now? We always have this conversation. We'll drive by people living on the, on the side of the road and, and, and I'll say, man, you know, I feel bad for those people, but if I was in that situation, this is what I would do. And you know what happens is I always end up exactly where I am now because the programming that I'm operating, come on, has brought me to this place. If you don't like your results right now, if you're living in a situation in life where you're like, I don't really like me. Well, the problem with you is you. Amen. First service, we're getting, we're getting there. The, the problems that I have in my life are my decisions and choices based upon the way that I think. And I think, well, this action or decision is going to give me pleasure, so I'll do that. I'll go ahead and eat those nachos at midnight, and I'll feel great. No! If I think that way, that leads me there. So listen to this. This is really critical. God wants to get into that your noggin. He wants to get into where you think, and he wants to begin to change the programming so that he can give you the results that you were destined to have. But how many of you know, we can't just do that ourselves. We'll just change the way you think, change the way you think. How do you do that? You think the way you think. That's like putting the prisoners in charge of the prison, right? You have to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and begin to do this work of transformation. And that's what God says. But God will transform you. Let God transform you by changing the way that you think. And then we come to understand his good and perfect and pleasing will. So this idea of changing the way we think, it's a very small change. It's not even really visible. Do you know that you could be even right now, the way that you think could be being changed at a deep level, but it's invisible to the rest of us. All of us right now, we have this whole inner life, this whole inner world, our thought life that is operating constantly underneath the surface. And we, the way we think is happening and the rest of us can't observe it, but it's a small change. It's kind of like surgery. My dad, a couple years ago, he, he had a, a pre-heart attack type of a thing. And it was really scary. And, and they brought him into the emergency room and they said, Steve, you have you know, blocked arteries. And, and they had to put in what's called a stent. How many of you are familiar with this? So they use some sort of advanced modern technology and bring these little things in there that open up. They clear out the blockage they, and they open up the artery so that blood can begin to flow. Now, the, the blockage taking place in his heart is microscopic. 
the change that takes place is microscopic. It's these small, maybe not microscopic, but miniature, right? Very small. And yet what a large result, right? Now his heart can pump blood through his body, which I mean, I don't know about you. I'm not a doctor, but I think that's a good thing. <laughs> and, and this small change that took place yet led to big results. This is always how it works when you go to the mechanic, right? You're like, my car's not working. And, and, and they're like, well, you know, it's only a $9 part, but it takes 17 hours, right, Matt, to get into where it is. I remember I had this Volkswagen a couple year, a year ago, whatever, and, and it was leaking coolant. So we'd have this fun experience driving down the road and all of a sudden your car's like, ah, ah. it's like being on Star Trek. The Klingons are coming, you know? Ah! You're driving down the freeway. Anybody that was asleep is not anymore. You're driving down the freeway and all of a sudden, bah, bah, and it would like flash at you and it was scary. It was like red alert, right? Because it was leaking coolant and I would stop and I mean, it's all leaking out. What's going on? And we couldn't figure it out. And finally, I think Matt came and looked at it and he's like, maybe it was Matt, maybe not. Maybe I have another mechanic friend. I don't. But anyways... He comes and looks and he's like, oh yeah, it's this thing back here. I remember I took it to the shop and, and it was this whole situation of, oh, it's a really small part. It's your coolant flange. I'm like, coolant flange? You might as well be speaking Russian. I don't know what that is. Can you fix it? They're like, yeah, it's $37 part, $500 job. Because how many of you know that those little things down deep, it's not the part. It's not the change. It's the process. And so when we talk about changing the way we think, it could be something small, the way you think about God, the way you think about your wife, your husband, the way you think about your kids, the way you think about work, the way you think about church. But it might just be a small fix, a small shift, but it might have a major difference and it might take God a process to help you get that change happening. So it says to us here, there's gonna be two basic ways in Romans chapter 12 that we think about change, the way we think about be moving our, our thoughts and changing there. He says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. It says in another translation, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And we're gonna have to make a critical decision right now as we get this series off the ground. Are we as followers of Jesus or somebody who's thinking about following Jesus, are we going to be conformed are we going to copy? Are we going to do things exactly the way that everybody else does them? Or are we going to be transformed and allow God to do the work that he wants to do in us? Because this is a big deal. See, if you say, no, I'll change the way I think. I've got the power. I can do this. What you end up doing is you end up conforming to the wisdom of man. You end up doing what other people already do or what you already do, and you get the same old and busted results. Come on. By copying the customs and behaviors of this world. Newsflash, Twitter is not the same thing as God's word. What? But I like some of the things that people say. You're going to agree with people that agree with you and disagree with those that don't disagree. You're right now in our country, it's so fractured. And I get it. All of us have political opinions, but red and blue and whatever other color, everybody's mad at each other. You're wrong. You're the worst. You don't like you know, truth and honesty. You don't like women. Everybody's mad at each other, okay? If we just copy the customs and behaviors of the world, you know where we're gonna end up? In the exact same place. Still fighting one another, still hating one another, still justifying why our side is right and the other side is wrong. What if we said, you know what? Instead of just being like everybody else, I'm gonna let God transform me. 
because I'm part of whatever the problem is out there. It's happening in here, in here. Come on, I'm gonna let God transform me. So we need to make that decision because here's the thing. Let me give you this truth right here. And this right now is worth your ticket price, whatever you paid to get in here. I don't know, 975 for the movie. And then you, you snuck in here, but go ahead and put that up on the screen. Here's a truth for you. If God can unlock your identity, he can unleash your destiny. If God can unlock your identity, in other words, if he can get you to see yourself how he sees you, if God can get you to, to imagine the possibilities that he has laid out in front of you, that he's prepared for you even before the day you were born, if he can unlock who you really are, unlock your identity, he can unleash your destiny. And so today I want to talk to you about this. Yes, I can be who God's called me to be. Yes, I can be who God's called me to be. Next week, I'm just gonna tell you, the message is going to be fine. It's gonna be awesome. And we're gonna talk about how to do what God's called you to do, but this is where it starts. It starts with how to be who God's called you to be. Why? Because if God can unlock your identity, he can unleash your destiny. See, we're always worried about what can I do for God? I need to grow. I need to become more mature. I need to do all this kind of stuff. No, what you need to do is actually connect with who God made you to be first, your identity that's that first level of transformation in your thinking that God wants to do. So in this series, we're going to track with the life of David. He was a guy in the Bible. I know a lot of you are familiar with some of the stories, David and Goliath, different ones, David and the Ark, David and Bathsheba. You know some of his story, but I want to encourage you to lean into the story of David because I believe you're going to see new things, fresh things, even if you've heard these stories before, that are going to help unlock your identity and help you go from no, I can't to yes, I can. So you ready? Let's jump in. I want to talk about David, and we're going we're gonna to start in his story right at the beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. And just to set you up some context, Saul is king of Israel at this point in time, and Saul has basically messed up and disobeyed God so many times where God's like, I'm done with Saul. And that's where the story picks up. And it says in Samuel 16.1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, this is a prophet of God, Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil. He's Italian, praise God. And go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Saul was the choice of people. David is the choice of God. Number two, but Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied. The answer to every problem is barbecue. He says, take a heifer with you and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. How many of you know you bring a heifer over to sacrifice? Amen. Put a little sweet baby rays on there. Praise God. We could solve any problem. We could solve world hunger on anything. Say that you've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the others of the town came trembling to meet him because he's a prophet. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, this is the oldest son, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Isn't it interesting that even a prophet of God has a way they see things and perceive, right? And it says here in verse seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge 
by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. I mean, right there, we could probably just camp and go home. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Do you realize that phrase right there has the power to change your life right now? Well, God, I see this. I see that. I see Democrats, I see Republicans. I see my wife, I see my husband. I see my kids. I see this, I see that. And God doesn't see things the way you see them. God sees them as they are. God sees a different perspective. It says, people judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, although there are many people, even well-meaning Christians who are the motive police and believe they can see into other people's heart, they can't. Only God can. Come on. My wife was, was teasing me because I was ragging on this lady driving. She was doing crazy stuff. And I'm like, what a bad driver. She's so rude and all this. Bethany goes, what if she had a bad day? What if, her, what if she's driving to her kid uh, at school who's thrown up and that's why she cut you off? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. Okay, it's not Eliah. Bring Abinadab forward. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next. Jesse summoned Shimei, but Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. I just imagine him like catwalking. You know? No, <laughs> no. Duck lips. King of Israel right here. No, no. This is not the way. This is not the one. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? Where's the last guy? Why, why, why isn't he invited to this? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. In other words, he's not the one you're looking for. Yeah, there's David. Some scholars actually believe that David was potentially an illegitimate son, which is why he's not here. That he was the outcast. I mean, even if he's a legitimate son of Jesse, he's the very youngest of, of seven sons. And in this culture, or of eight sons, in this culture, you know, the oldest gets all the honor, the birthright, all that. And then, you know, second, third, and it goes that way. And there's a pecking order and he's at the very bottom of the totem pole. Come on. He's like the guy at the bottom, everybody on top. So he's not even invited. He's overlooked. Send for him at once, Samuel said, we will not sit down until he arrives. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. It says in verse 12, so Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. The one that everybody had overlooked. The one that wasn't even invited to the party. The one that wasn't qualified. The one that wasn't even considered. He's not a potential candidate. No way. Don't even invite him to the party. Don't even bring him. He can smell the barbecue from up there and we'll save him some leftovers. Go watch the sheep, David. Go, go, go. Like we've got important things to do with important people, qualified people, those that are, that are qualified to do whatever it is. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And then Samuel returned to Ramah. Now, I know when we read this, this is kind of an ancient story and we look into this and go, okay, I don't totally understand all the context of this, but let me just tell you what's happening here is a very, very big deal. God has sent his prophet, a man who's so uh, powerful and influential that literally the elders of an entire town are trembling as he comes. And he says, I'm here to pick somebody. God has picked somebody, selected someone. 
And it's the one, this man or this young man that no one has thought is capable or qualified. He's off, not even invited to the party. And yet this is the one that God selected and he's anointed king over God's people. And God's spirit came powerfully upon him. I wanna give you a couple thoughts about this as we talk about this transition in the way we think from no, I can't to yes, I can. Four thoughts today and then we'll go eat something delicious. Number one, God's got his eye on you way before you have your eyes on him. You see, right now, maybe you're thinking, ah, nobody notices, nobody sees. I'm just off here. Maybe I'm even not even really a Christian. I've kind of been out of church or whatever. I'm just off and, and I'm alone and I'm isolated. And let me just tell you right now, there's a scripture that says, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro over the earth. God sees all. He knows all. I feel like the great and powerful. You know, he, he's omniscient. He's, he's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. And God has his eye on you way before you have your eyes on him. See, we think that when we start paying attention to God is when we start becoming qualified to serve God. When we start paying attention to God is when God basically says, okay, now you can come into church. No, 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 no. You got to understand God had his eye on you way before you had your eyes on him. You ever prayed with one of your kids in front of you and just prayed and thought about your relationship with that child that you love and how God sees you. Because so many times I'll be praying in my house and I'll look and I'll see my son Jack or one of my daughters and, and I just, they're playing, they're doing their thing. They're unaware of my presence, unaware of my gaze, unaware of my heart and intention for them. And it makes me think about God with me. While I'm cheering for the ducks or crying about the ducks or whatever I'm doing, God has his eye on us. God's got his eye on you way before you have your eyes on him. We think we're overlooked, unnoticed, whatever, but no, we're not. God sees, God sees. Come on, God sees. He sees you right now. And remember, God doesn't see just the outside. He sees the inside. You're chosen by God before you ever choose him. God has prepared a life for you, a destiny for you, a life of victory, a life of blessing. God has prepared a life that makes a difference and he chose you before you ever turned to him or chose him. It says in Jeremiah chapter one, verse five, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God was telling the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah, it's not your qualifications, it's your calling. It's not your qualifications, it's not your credentials, it's your calling. It's not who you think you are or who others think you are, it's who I made you to be. Come on. It says in, in verse one of Samuel 16, it says, find a man named Jesse. This is God speaking to Samuel who lives there. For I have selected, I've chosen, I picked him. I picked one of the sons of Jesse, which we find out later is this young man, David, the youngest of eight sons, who's not even invited to the party. God had his eye on him before he ever had his eyes on anything about his destiny or what God could do in his life. Number two, God looks at the heart. Verse seven, we, we, we just read that about God doesn't judge the outward appearance. He looks inside the heart. God sees what's going on on the inside of us. Right now, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, well, nobody really understands what I'm going through. Well, that might be true, but God does because God sees. Even if you don't think that your eyes are on him, his eyes are on you and God looks deep into your heart. One of the things that I struggle with is I don't, I don't like to be criticized. I don't know if any of you like to be criticized. Anybody love it? Just criticize me. I drink it in like oxygen. It's just wonderful. No, 
I don't like to be criticized, but one of the things I, I don't like specifically is when my motives are judged incorrectly, right? So I've done some really messed up stuff in my life. Anybody with me here? Don't leave me hanging. I've done some messed up stuff. And when I get criticism for that, I'm like, that's fair. I don't like it, but yeah, I did spill five gallons of peanut oil in the back of my dad's Suburban, so I got to wear that one, right? I got to own up to that one. But sometimes you get accused of something or criticized or somebody is, you know, coming after you and they're judging your motives. And they're like, you did this because of this. And you're like, thank you, God, who sees into the heart. Actually, I don't think so, Sister Phyllis. <laughs> Sorry if your name is Phyllis, but how many of you know, like people, like they'll judge your motives, right? You ever had that happen to you before? You, even if you did something and somebody says, I see why you did it and this is who you are and all this kind of stuff. Listen, don't worry when others don't see what's actually going on because God sees. See, if we had an unshakable confidence that God looked into the heart, we wouldn't worry about when someone judged our motives incorrectly. We would say, hey, I've done it. They're doing it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep walking forward in the destiny and identity that God has prepared for me, his eyes even on me and his calling on my life before the day I was born. My steps are prepared. I don't need to worry about what other people who think they see either do or don't see. I need to worry about what God sees and make sure that what's going on on the inside is good. Come on. See, sometimes people come and they say, hey, I see something going on in your life. And you're like, yeah, that actually was wrong inside of my heart. But you know what? Sometimes when they miss it, you don't need to get all upset and frustrated. What you can do is say, God sees my heart. God sees my motives. He sees my intentions. He sees my desires. And he's the just judge. And he will judge me fairly. See, these guys are wanting to judge by appearances. Even the prophet of God, Samuel, you even know that sometimes spiritual leaders like myself are gonna miss it and judge by the appearance. But here's a principle here. You don't need to necessarily worry about that. What you need to worry about is does God sees your heart and he's gonna judge you fairly. And that sets you free from striving or comparison or trying to, to, to earn your way up with people or whatever. You don't need to worry about it. Samuel missed it. He's like, surely Eliab is the one. Surely this is the next king of Israel. Why? Because he was tall and strapping and handsome. He just had that king of Israel look about him. You know what I mean? That king of Israel look, he just had it. He had the it factor, right? And he, Samuel says, surely this is the one. And God's like, no. And then they go through six other schmucks before they get to this young kid up on the hillside. Come on, God looks at the heart. Number three, you'll find your destiny while you're doing your duty. You see, our culture right now is all about, I need to discover who I am and what I'm supposed to do and my place in the world and all this kind of high sounding stuff. And there's a lot less people who are willing to just like do the duty, do the work. Come on, I, when I was in Bible college, I was at a Bible college internship and we did a lot of white throne ministry. White throne, I mean, just at the white throne, cleaning those white thrones, making sure that all the pee stains and the, the, the poo that had kind of your splatter effect and all that, you know. Uh, we were there, on, right, Bethany? We were in there. We, we vacuumed the carpet so much at Joy Medford that they wore out, right? Kayla was in Armor Bears. You know, we, I remember my, my director uh, was our pastor in this. He actually had some memory loss. And so one time I vacuumed this whole staircase and then he said, hey, I need you to vacuum that staircase. I'm like, I just did, Pastor John. And he was like, do it again then. He, he didn't remember 
And so he was kind of embarrassed, so I had to vacuum it again, you know? And we did a lot of this kind of stuff. And let me just tell you right now, in those moments when you're doing your duty, when you're serving in the kids' class at Joy Church and some bratty kid is like, ah! you know, and you're not feeling it, right? You're not feeling the Holy Spirit in this moment. I feel so blessed. I came to church to get fed, not crackers from, that were already chewed up by a little bratty kid. Fed by the Lord, you know, we have these moments. How many of you know that most Sundays when you're serving at Joy Church, you're probably not feeling it? You know, my favorite thing all week is to carry pipe and drape. No, you're doing your duty. Come on, we're serving in the house. When I'm at my house and my kids make a big mess and, I, and Bethany's like, Jake, let's, let's get some chores done. Let's work on I'm not like, woo, yay, vacuuming. Maybe you have a better attitude than me. I'm like, I didn't make this mess. She's, Bethany's like, you made that mess with her. Okay, fair. How many of you know when you're part of the house, when you're part of the, the family, there's chores, there's duty. David, it mentioned several times in his story that he was helping his father. He, was, he had a duty to do. He was sent to go watch these sheep. It was their livelihood. It was their income. And listen, guys, David out in the fields doing his duty, the eye of the Lord was on him, looking not just at what he was doing, outward appearance, but looking deep into his heart. And what was God doing? God was saying, destiny is being formed in this place of duty because faithfulness comes before fruitfulness. People say, man, I want to do great things for God. Good. You got to be willing to do little things for him then first. Hello, I'm preaching good right now. I want to speak. We had this girl in our internship at one point and she said, I just really feel called to platform ministry. We're like, that's awesome. There's a platform, the toilets sit on it. It'd be awesome if you would make sure that platform where those toilets are on that platform in the bathroom floor is really clean. That'd be awesome, you know? And she's like, I don't, that's not really what I was thinking. Can I tell you, you want a platform to make a difference? You got to go to the low place. What did Jesus do? Jesus could have shouted from his platform in heaven. Hey, I'm Jesus. Twinkle in his teeth. The platform, how glorious the platform and spoken down to us peons upon the earth and told us to turn or burn. What did God really do? Jesus came down, he was born in the lowest of circumstances, born as a man, born as a little baby in a manger, which is just a fancy Christian way of saying a barn, right? A stable. He was born in humble circumstances in a podunk little country on the outside of the Roman Empire. He came down to serve. He came down to schlep. He came down to get his hands dirty in our mess because the pathway to greatness in the kingdom of God is upside down to the way that it is in the rest of the world. You want to find your destiny? Come on, get a broom, get a shovel. Come on, get to work in the house of God and be delighted to serve God in whatever way you possibly can because destiny is birthed in the place of duty. Destiny is based in the, it it starts, it's formed in that place of duty. He was out in the fields. God finds his princes in pastures. My calling was not forged on a platform talking to people. My calling was formed in front of toilets, vacuuming, crying out before God in the secret place. Come on, being upset by having to work so hard. I remember screaming in my pastor's face, not my dad, but one of the other pastors on our staff, having a screaming fight in front of the church because the other guys were, were getting out of their duty to, to watch the Christmas trees that we were selling for a fundraiser. Long story, anyways. You're always fundraising when you're in Bible college, right? I'm selling Christmas tree wreaths, Christmas trees. I remember shouting like, they don't, get, they don't have to do this and I have to do it, he said, because you have a higher, your, your destiny, you have a higher destiny. They're taking the easy road. That's gonna hurt them. You're gonna do the high road or whatever. And I'm like, 
Ah! I hate the high road. Every once in a while, I just want to take the middle road, you know? I don't want to be a low roader, but sometimes I just want to be like everybody else. But listen, do your duty. Do it with delight. Be disciplined. Serve God in whatever way you can and watch God unleash an awesome destiny for you. Number four, number four, you won't miss the party. You won't miss the party. I love this. I've never seen this before until I was studying this out for this message. In verse 11, it says, then Samuel asked, are all, these all the sons you have? And there is, uh, there is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Now this is meant to be a dismissive thing like, no, Samuel, you, you missed it. You, you need to like tune in because it was Eliab. Remember the first guy where you were like, surely this is him? That's the king, Right? Because Jesse's thinking, I don't want the runt of my litter being the guy that goes to the top. I want my, my guy, right? My, my, my chosen son. And it's meant to stop here, right? This is meant to like, let's go back and revisit the seven sons and then we'll move on because David is up in the field. In other words, it's too hard for us to go get David. Like he's, he's, he's way out there. He's out in the sticks with the sheep. He probably smells bad. He'd need a shower before he shows up. Like we can't get him. You see where I'm going with this? But listen to what Samuel says. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. Now, I think this is awesome because when I heard this story growing up, I thought it was like Samuel, Jesse, and the brothers, but it's not. Because remember the elders of the town. There's a whole town right, right here. The heifer has been sacrificed. There's a barbecue. There's a party that's waiting to happen. And everybody is excited because come on, pick a king and we're gonna have a party. Pick a king and we can have a feast. Pick a king and we're gonna do this whole thing. We're gonna do this thing. And Samuel says, nope, nobody touches, nobody has a bite until we get the guy that God wants at this party. Now, listen, a lot of you right now are up on a hillside somewhere, obscure, thinking God doesn't see you. You're doing your duty. You're doing what God has called you to do and he's put something in your hands and you think that there's a party going on somewhere that you're missing out on. And let me just tell you right now, that's not gonna happen. God will not let your party go on without you until he says, now it's time for the party to take place. Go get David. We're not gonna eat anything until he's here. We think we're missing something. We watch other people. Well, they got married. This person got platform ministry. They got to sing on the worship team. This person got that promotion at work. What about me, God? What about me, God? And we think that we're missing the party, but you cannot miss the party that God has for you. I've got to connect with being who God has called me to be, getting my identity secured. Yes, I can be who God's called me to be. David had none of the external markers of success. He had none of the outward appearances, and yet God was working something in his heart in the place of discipline, in the place of duty, so that he could unleash a powerful destiny, which is what we're going to find out about next week, the beginning of David. Un, being unleashed in his destiny and his calling, but it starts in this place of identity. Yes, I can be who God's called me to be. This morning, as we get ready to close up, I was thinking about another story and another party that took place. And it's a story that Jesus told about two sons. One of the sons was with his father and he stayed faithful and committed to the father and everything he was doing. And he's the perfect picture of a religious person who's got it all together. And the other son was what we call the prodigal son. It means prodigal means wasteful. He took his inheritance. He went out into the world and he wasted his, his inheritance that his father had for him. 
And he was so desperate and broken that he began to work at a pig farm. And in the story, Jesus says, this son realizes, man, even the servants in my father's house are fed, be fed better than I am eating here with the pigs. I'm in the dumps here. I'm just gonna go back to my father and I'm gonna beg for him to take me in as a servant. And that son goes to his father's house. And in that place, the father is not like, okay, come on in, sit down, let's have a discussion. The father's actually out front waiting for him every day, looking for him. Again, the eyes of God are always looking out for you before you're even looking for him. And Jesus turns this whole narrative around. The father's not there waiting to judge and condescend to and critique and criticize this wasteful son. Instead, that father that Jesus talks about in the story has open arms. In fact, he runs to the son. He, he, he puts his arms around him and he kisses his neck and he embraces him and he says, oh, my son that was lost, but is now found. My son that was dead, but he's now alive. And then what does he do? He says, kill the fattened calf. Go get my best robe. Go get my best ring. Go get the party started. Somebody call Ariana Grande or somebody and get the music on. Like we're going to get this thing on like Donkey Kong. That's exactly what it says in the Greek. When you translate it. The party was waiting for the son to arrive. You see, right now, maybe you're here today and you're like, okay, Pastor Jake, I've been away from God. In fact, I've been middle fingering God. I've had a bad attitude. I've been against the church. I've been against whatever. I, I haven't wanted anything to do with this. I haven't wanted anything to do, but I'm here right now. And you know what? I, I want to be in the family of God, but, but I'm, I'm not good enough. Well, welcome to the club. None of us are good enough. But can I tell you something? The party that God has has been waiting for you. It says when one person puts their faith in Jesus, when one person enters the kingdom of heaven, all of the angels have a party. They rejoice, they celebrate. There's literally angels right there ready to rock out the minute that you say, I'll put my faith in Jesus. And you have not missed the party. You could not miss the party because God was bringing you to this moment where he would start all of the good stuff that he wanted to start in your life and all it takes is for you to put your faith and your trust in Jesus today. And if that's you and you wanna put your faith in Jesus, then I just want you to pray this prayer with me. Let's all pray it together because God wants to bring this, get this party started. He loves you so much. Would you just pray this with me right now? Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you. I ask for your forgiveness for my sins and failures, but I thank you that you paid the price for my life. And so I give you my life and I receive your life in Jesus' name, amen.